0: You are the healer. You are one who lifts up when we struggle, when we don't know what's next. You bring security and you bring healing and freedom and forgiveness into our hearts and our lives and we thank you for that. Thank you for being a God who cares about everything that we face in life. Thank you for being a God who knows every step that we need to take and everything that's before us. Thank you for the promise that you will provide all that is needed, and that your grace is sufficient for us. And God, I pray that our worship and our heart attitude is pleasing to you today. I pray that you would be free by your spirit to speak into our hearts and our lives as we look into the Word of God this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. I just wanted to take a moment this morning to say thank you to you as a church. Uh, as a lot of you already are aware, my mother... Uh, went home to be with the Lord this last week, and uh, thank you for your kind words and uh, prayers for my family and extended family, and we were able to have a funeral service for her yesterday, uh, live, live streamed, my three of my so there's six of us in siblings, and uh, three of us weren't able to attend because we live scattered around and weren't able to go back to New Brunswick, uh, we could not get clean enough, I guess, according to them. Uh, to be able to go back into the province. So the service was live streamed. We want to just say thank you for your prayers for the family and and also the the flowers that were sent from Mossbrook Church uh, was, was great. And uh, mom was a godly lady who uh, every day of life lifted uh, all of us and our family up before the Lord. My family, all six of the kids are involved in some way in ministry. And uh, my mom made sure that we were all brought before the throne of grace every morning, and uh, all of the grandkids, and she had a long prayer list, and when she started, uh, if it was before a meal, you could be there a long time sometimes, Um, but we really appreciated what mom uh, really did for all of us uh, before God, and it's great heritage. Some of you are probably wondering because... This week is the first week that it was cooler as you came. You're probably wondering what's going to happen with our outside church. As elders, we are praying about that, and we have some options in front of us, and as we kind of unpack those, we'll let you know kind of the next steps that we're ready to take as a church uh, this fall. So we are praying through that and trying to figure that out, and uh, we do know that Eventually, if we don't do something, we'll be sitting in parkas, uh, and there'll be snow at our feet. So, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking through one sermon out of every book of the Bible. And we, this morning, have got to the book of Nehemiah, and I am so thankful that the book of Nehemiah landed on my week. Uh, This is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. And uh, last week, Pastor Mike reminded us that... This whole story that we're talking about really is about God redeeming mankind. It's the story of God taking those that he created in his own image, in his own likeness, which he never planned for there to be sin in their their life. That was not how God wanted that to happen. He gave man free will, and that was the choice that Adam made, was to sin against God and to go his own way. And he really planned us to live... And, and fellowship with him. And when Adam broke that, Romans tells us, because of one man's sin entered into the world, then death passed upon all men, and all have sinned because of that. And so when that took place in Adam's life, we were our relationship with God was also severed. And so all the way through Scripture, God spends a lot of, of his time... And it's hard to even say that because God is not bound by time. But in our understanding of life, God spends a lot of energy working to redeem mankind, to bring mankind back into fellowship with him. And this week, as we jump into Nehemiah, you're going to see another side of that picture of God's redemption of mankind. Now, Nehemiah is part of the story that you were We're reading or looking at last week with Ezra. Remember, last week Pastor Mike told us that Ezra had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. That was was his heartbeat, and the king Cyrus had sent him, given him permission. He wasn't a godly king, but yet he sent him to go rebuild that temple. Now, Ezra went without a lot of extras, he didn't have a lot of extra help, but he went and he was the second return. There was a guy named Zerubbabel who went before him, and he tried to rebuild, and, and some people made it really hard for him, and so he gave up. There was a letter that came from the king and told him to stop, and he gave up. And then Ezra goes, and he has the blessing of the king, and he starts to put the temple together, and then we run into Nehemiah. And Nehemiah goes probably 15 to 20 years later King Artaxerxes is on the throne at this point. And an interesting note about that, that, that this king would have been the stepson to Esther. And Esther is who I'm going to talk about next week. It seems a little out of line, but that's the way the books are coming. And Esther Esther was a queen who, who had saved the, the Jewish nation from being wiped out in that in that particular time frame. And so this would have been her stepson. And so Esther probably had a little bit of influence with Nehemiah and with the king, and, and so Nehemiah gets this heart passion to go back to the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the city because it's a mess. So Ezra is the prophet. Ezra's still alive with Nehemiah. I get you to understand that these guys probably knew each other. It's very possible. And Malachi, who's another prophet at the end of the Old Testament, he's alive, he's writing at this time, and you need to understand this, that Ezra and Malachi are the last two prophets that, that we have as a message from God to the people, the nation of Israel. And, and they're writing reminding them of who God is and what God has for the nation of Israel. And after their writing, there's 400 years of silence where God doesn't speak. And until in the, in the Gospels we read that the Holy Spirit sends along a word that John the Baptist is coming, who's going to be a witness and a testimony that Jesus Christ is coming, and then he tells, he tells through the angels that Jesus Christ is coming to the earth. There had been 400 years since Ezra and Malachi and Nehemiah and these guys had been following God, 400 years of silence. So Nehemiah is kind of one of these guys who's kind of the last hurrah, if you will, where God is speaking directly to the people, and he's trying to redeem and draw his people back. You ever get that feeling today? I do. Where God is going to the nation of of the USA and the North American nations, Canada, and saying, hey... Hey, I've been speaking to you over a long period of time, and there's going to come a time where I'm going to stop. I'm done. We always look at our nation as being founded as a godly nation, and it probably was more godly than some. But it doesn't mean that the hand and the blessing of God has to stay on our nation. Nehemiah is a a Jewish man who had just come through 70, or, or the people with him and him included, had just come through 70 years of captivity. 70 years of the punishment of God, and he... God speaks to him to take the next step to speak to those people. And so the hand of God on the nation of Israel had done exactly what he said he would do. He said, look, if you won't obey, if you won't, if you won't humble yourself, if you won't bow before me, if you won't say yes to me, then I'll make you do it. And I will cause things to happen in your nation and in your lives to draw you back to me and Nehemiah was living in the middle of that and he's in a foreign country with a foreign king and he's, he's the cupbearer to the king and God comes and he speaks to him in that position. And this morning I want to talk to you about doing your part, each of us doing our part, because that's really what the book of Nehemiah is all about. It's about a guy who does the part that God asks him to do for the nation of Israel. The first thing I want you to notice in this book of Nehemiah is this, that the task is great. The task that Nehemiah has, it's really huge. It's really far bigger than one man can do. And it's probably for Nehemiah, when he first understands the task, it's probably overwhelming. It's probably something that when he stops and thinks about it, he says, There's no way, God, No, no, I can't do this. Let me read a verse for you. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 says this, And they said to me, he's talking to some of his brothers who had come back from Jerusalem, the remnant in the provinces who survived the exile are in great trouble and distress or disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. Jerusalem is in trouble, his brothers tell him. They come back, he's in in the capital city with the king, he's the cupbearer to the king, and he says, hey brothers, how is it going in Jerusalem? I know Ezra went up to build the temple, what's going on? And his brothers go, look, Jerusalem is a disgrace as a city. It was the dwelling place, the temple of God. It was where, where the nation of Israel came together to worship God, but it's a disgrace. The walls are all torn down. The gates of the city have been burned. The people are struggling to get by. It's horrible. It's not good. And so Nehemiah goes to prayer. If you read this passage of Scripture, Nehemiah, his heart is broken, and he goes to prayer. He gets on his knees before God, and he begins to ask God, God, what do I do? Hey, folks, the walls of the United States are broken. The moral walls are broken. Our country is a mess, morality sounds a lot like the judges where everybody does what's right in their own eyes if it feels good to me i'm doing it our walls are broken and our gates the gates of the scripture the gates that would protect our country and our children they've been burned and we've taken god out of everything And we're in trouble. And when Nehemiah hears that for his nation, he gets on his face before God and he weeps before God. And he says, God, what part do I play in fixing this? God, this is way bigger than me, but what do I do? God, I see the mess around me and I know that that I'm not in a position to do anything great, but God, what should I do? if you read that passage of Scripture, you find that God lays on Nehemiah's heart a passion to go back and reestablish the city of Jerusalem. And folks, he's not in a position to do that. He's an exile. He's a captive. He's not a citizen. But he has the audience of the king. And if you look at chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says this that he's before the king, and it's the first time he's ever been sad in the presence of the king. And then the king asked me, it says, What is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens, and I answered the king. Know this, people, when he makes this prayer, this isn't his first. He's been praying and thinking and planning and figuring out with God, what do I do? How do I do this? God, when you bring an opportunity, I'm in. And so when the king asks him, he responds and he says, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor with you, then send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. Folks, the request that Nehemiah has of the king is audacious. (laughs) It's crazy, because he doesn't stop there. If you keep reading, and I'd ask you to do it, keep reading this passage of Scripture in chapter 2. He goes to the king, and he says, look, don't just send me back to rebuild the walls. I want you to provide all the material. I want you to give me some workers to go. I want you to give me an escort. I want a third of the army to go with me. I want you to give me all the letters that are needed so as I go through the different areas and people give me a hard time, I can say, no, the king's in on this. I want your help. And he gets it. The king gives it to him. Everything he asked for. If you read this, not only does Nehemiah get the nod from the king and the queen, but he's also made the governor of Jerusalem. And he says, Go ahead, go do it, and you can have all of the rights of the governorship. In other words, you're going to get paid to do it at the same time. Go. When the king asked him, Nehemiah had an answer. Folks, if we go before God and we say, God, what is it that you want of me? God, what is it that you want me to do? Our walls are broken down. We're in trouble. What part do you want me to play? God will tell you, and he'll give you an answer. And when He gives you the answer, be prepared. Because He's going to put you in places you never dreamed that you would be. And He's going to ask you to do things with people that you never thought you would do. But be ready. Because He wants to use you. We all have a part. Every one of us has a part. And the task is great. The task before us is huge. But God will provide what we need to complete the task that He has. Folks, we live in a day and age where in our mind, the task before us or whatever it is that we have to do, we want it to happen instantaneously. We want to just to add water and everything's done. We want to pop it in the microwave. But you and I both know that anything that's good worth eating doesn't come from a microwave. Right? It takes time and energy and plans and food that is prepared that is super delicious. Now, some of us, our, our taste buds have been ruined because we've eaten so much microwave stuff that we think it's good now. But really, really good food. I made homemade ice cream the other day. I don't want to ruin it for you, but I made triple chocolate homemade ice cream the other day. And let me just tell you, it, it doesn't happen in a blink. It does, it's not just add water. Right? You gotta take the whole cream, two cups of whole cream, two cups of half and half. You gotta put the three different types of chocolate in there put that on and boil that. Bring that just to do a don't boil it. Just do a light simmer where the bubbles are just starting on the edge and there's a little bit of there's a little bit of of, of steam coming off it. Don't let it boil though, you'll ruin it you let that cool a little bit. You mix the cocoa and the sugar together in the bowl. And you put the eight egg yolks in. I'm not going to tell you all my secrets, but you put the eight egg yolks in. And you mix that all up. And you get that so it's nice and fine. And then as your mixture has cooled, you put that. And you don't want it to be too hot because it will cook the eggs before it's ready. And you don't want to do that. It makes it lumpy. But what I'm telling you is this. There's a process. And by the way, there was many many uh, M&Ms and Heath Bar, and I made a caramel mix that went in that as well. It's it's just incredible. But here's the thing, and sorry, it's almost gone, Um, but it takes time, right? Anything good that we, it takes time. And the same is true here with Nehemiah. Nehemiah had, his heart was open to God. And when God began to work in his life. There's three or four months that pass where Nehemiah is on his face before God and he's asking God, God, what is it that you want from me? And he stays before God as God reveals what he wants. It takes time. And every great thing that God wants of us takes time. God has to work in us. It's not just add water. Now, I want you to realize as this goes on, if you look at chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, you'll find this that it takes a lot of hands to make this happen. The task, the great task, isn't just one person. Let me read this to you. So I said to them, He's now gathered a group of people together in Jerusalem. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let us rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. And I told them how gracious, the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. And they said, look at this, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. It wasn't just Nehemiah. Nehemiah came back to the people and he said, look, God has laid this on my heart and the king's in and we have all the supplies we need. What do you think? And everybody's like, yes, we're in. Let's do this. It takes many hands to do the work. Hey, folks, from Mossbrook Church to grow and develop and become the ministry that God wants it to be in the Oxford Hills, it's not our leadership teams that make it happen. It's all of us together. It takes many hands to do the work. Because the task is great. And we all have a part to play. In building what it is that God has asked of us. No great task is done with one person alone. It takes a group of people on mission, headed in the same direction, completing the tasks that God has asked of us. It takes lots of people to join together, and when they do, much is accomplished, and the load seems light nearly as difficult hey folks God has called us to reach the Oxford Hills with the gospel of Jesus Christ he hasn't just called us to feed people or, or to help people with clothing or to help people with, with physical needs. Yes, that's important and it needs to happen. But what he's really called us to do is to show the love of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth to redeem mankind, to give them hope and forgiveness and opportunity at life that they could never have any other way. And the task is great and it can't happen with one or two people it happens with all of us sharing the love of Jesus Christ with the town and the community that we live in it took all the people joining together to do the task everyone has a part if you were to look at chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and this is where we lose people in the book of Nehemiah because it's a list of people's names i was catherine and i were talking this week and she goes i don't know why you love nehemiah there's so many names and she's right, there are a lot of names. But if you look at chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, what you realize is they're not just people's names. What they're trying to help you to understand is this, that every person had a part. Not too young, not too old. All the people were involved. Not the professionals and the, and the blue collar. It, that wasn't it. Everybody had a part. Not everybody was skilled, but they all played a part. Everybody has a part to play. And if you read this story and you see what happened and you look back in history at what happened, in 52 days they took a city that had been demolished, that was burned, that was ripped apart, and in 52 days they put the walls all back together. And it wasn't because of their great skill. Nehemiah says it's because the hand of God was on them as they worked hand of God was on them. Folks, Mossbrook Church, the hand of God is on us. The Spirit of God is here. And the task is great, but the work can be completed because the hand of God is on us. It's the work that He wants done. Everyone did their part. These guys weren't all builders. <laughs> Some of them were scribes. If you read down through it, the list is is from every walk of life. But they all did their part. They all did their part. These people didn't have much. They'd been in captivity for 70 years living in this city where they were scraping by. And actually, as you read the story, you'll find that a lot of them had been put in slavery or their kids had been put in slavery. They had lost their fields. Their crops were not all their own. They were giving them away to make payment. They didn't have much. But they were willing to give what they had and God took what they had and he used it to do an incredible thing for the glory of God. They were willing. They gave what they had. They used their energy. They were teachable. They were part of the whole. They made sure that they were in. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about being in, being all in. Giving our heart and our soul to God and doing our part. They were all in. Are you? Are you willing to do your part? The task is great. It takes many hands And when we all do our part, a lot is accomplished. But I need you to realize something. There's this little teeny verse in chapter 3, verse 5, and I want to read it for you because it's really important. Beside them, the Tekoites made repairs. Catch this. Catch this. But the nobles or their nobles did not lift a finger to help their supervisors. One little verse, one little phrase catches my attention every time I read it. But their nobles did not lift a finger to help. I don't want you to miss this, people. There are always people who will not engage. Always. There's always people who don't want to help. Always. And a couple of things can happen. And I love that in the book of Nehemiah, this is the only phrase that you see about it. This is it. And I think there's a a really big lesson here for us. Nehemiah spends all of his time, we believe that Ezra wrote the book of Nehemiah and he took it from Nehemiah's own journals. That's what we believe happened. But as Nehemiah is writing about all of the events that are taking place in these 52 days and then the years following as he's governor of the city of Jerusalem, he spends all of his time and energy focused on all the stuff that the people were doing right. And he has this one little phrase in here where he says, look, there was a group of people who didn't engage and they weren't part. And often for us, the opposite happens. There's a few people who aren't working. They're not helping. And we fixate on those few people who aren't doing anything. And everything comes to a screeching halt. Because we throw our hands up and we say, they're not involved. They're not part. What are we going to do? How are we going to get them engaged? How are we going to spend time and energy pulling them in so that they're part? They're missing out. They're missing the blessing. What are we going to do? We've got to get them to help us. No, we don't. That's not our job. That's the Spirit of God's job. My job is to do the the chores, the work, use my gift that God asked me to use, not fixate on somebody else, not pay attention to what they're doing. God asked me to do what He asked me to do. And the moment I start thinking about what everybody else is doing, guess what? I get bitter. I get angry. I start being hard to get along with. My attitude stinks. And it affects all the other people that I'm living life with. And so I love this because Nehemiah puts it in a great perspective. In the middle of building this, in the middle of doing this phenomenal job, he says, "Yeah." And there was a few people who decided not to help. Well, we're working. And off he goes, and they keep working. Hey, let me ask you a question this morning, Christ follower. Have you been so busy watching what everybody else is doing that you've forgotten what the job is that God asked you to do? Have you been so fixated on what everybody else is is or is not doing that the job you're supposed to be doing is not being done? Have you been so busy trying to pull other people along with you that the very thing that God asked you to do has been sidelined don't do it pray for them encourage them be there to help them but keep going don't stop don't stop look I love this book I love all that takes place if you were to read through this and I ask you to do it take the time to read it you'll find this that Not only did they rebuild the walls, and that's pretty amazing when you read it, and there's some of the best leadership lessons that you'll ever read anywhere found in this book. But not only do they build the wall, but here's what Nehemiah does, and it's so amazing. He takes these people, and he takes the the temple that Ezra had rebuilt, and he brings Ezra in, and he says, Ezra, I want you to take the book of the law, I want you to take the Bible. It would have been the scrolls that they had at that time. And Ezra digs them out and he goes and he stands before the people in the public place. Not just in the temple, but in the public place. And he begins to read the word of God. And the people, they gather and they stand to hear the word. There was a hunger for the word of God because it had been lost. And they stood and they listened to the word of God. And they made a covenant together to follow the word of God and to do what God asked for of them and you'll find as you read this that nehemiah as their governor leads with an integrity a heart of integrity and he cleans up all that was going on in the city and ezra cleans up the temple and they begin to worship together and to follow god and every one of them that's there that's in does their part and god is honored and glorified hey let me ask you this morning how about you this is way back this is history this is a picture of what god did with a group of people one person it started with who said yes and then a group of people who also said yes and it's a great picture for us To say yes to God. God, what is it that you would have of me? Get on your face before God and ask Him. And then don't spend a lot of time looking at everybody else who's not doing what they're supposed to do. You do what God's asked you to do. Do it together. Do it as a team on mission to complete what God has asked of us as a church. And let's see what God does. We're in the middle of a very unknown period of time. But you know what? I don't look at at this as horrible. I look at that God wants to do something different. So what is it? What's he want to do? How does he want to use us? How does he want to make a difference in this community? How does he want to use you? Father, would you grant us the courage to say yes to you? Would you grant us the ability to hear from you, to allow your spirit to touch our hearts? The task before us is great. Help us to be willing to engage and do our part. The little that we have is yours. Use it for your glory to grow your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen.